This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. I am Gwen Cooper, your exhausted, your utterly exhausted host. Uh, Nevertheless, so thrilled to be back with you after an absence of about a week or so. Um, If you are looking for someone to blame for my absence over the past week, then I'm going to have to say you're going to have to blame my the patrons, the members of my Patreon community, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, the reason why I have did not record a podcast last week is because I have been furiously getting things ready ahead of a trip that I am taking, which I will tell you about in a moment. Um, as you may know, if you are on my email list or if you listen to the podcast regularly or if you hang out with me on social media, then you may be aware that I am reissuing the novel Love Saves the Day, which first came out in 2013. I have – what am I – what's the word that I'm looking for? There has I, – I have gotten – I have secured a – what's called a rights reversion for Love Saves the Day. And basically what that means is that Random House, uh, who originally published Love Saves the Day, has given the rights to that novel back to me so that I am able to self-publish it, which I am very excited about doing. And I'm going to be reissuing it with a new story about Prudence the Cat and also with a new cover. And here, here's... <laughs> Here's why the my my patrons are are to blame quote unquote for for how busy I've been lately. So thanks to my patrons I have been able to take some courses in book formatting and also in graphic design and so I am really doing this one soup to nuts. I I retyped the entire novel into the software that I need to format it with and I did that from scratch. I am formatting it all on my own. I also redesigned the cover from scratch all by myself. If Again, if you spend time with me on social media and I have solicited opinions on varying cover designs, um, please know that I created both of those or all of the designs that you have seen. I guess what I'm saying, if there's anything at all that you don't like about the book, really, there is only me to blame. But anyway, all of this, of course, takes time. It is a time-consuming process, uh, one that I would not be able to undertake without my incredible patrons on Patreon, whose unbelievably generous support has financed my continuing education that has taught me how to do some of these things. I'm getting better as I go along, and and those of you who who do read all my books as they come out um, are going to notice an increase in quality, both in cover design and also in internal formatting as the books go on. So, so Love Saves the Day, I, I think, is going to look pretty good all the way around. Certainly, the cover is going to look better than the original hardcover cover 
of the book. Um, I am, of course, kidding when I say that blame should go to my to my patrons. It is actually um, so much gratitude, so so much gratitude. I I couldn't be doing this. Um, and and those of you, I know that most people listening are not patrons, are not a part of my Patreon community, and that is certainly all. I mean that that's completely fine. I, I thank you for supporting my work, even if all you do is listen to my podcast and maybe you know, buy a book or two that I have written. I am incredibly grateful for even that level of support. Um, but I, I will tell you that I, I would not, I, I wouldn't have a business right now. I, I just would not be able to do anything that I'm doing if it weren't for my patrons. So thank you. Thank you so much. And those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about whatsoever, um, go to Patreon. P-A-T is in Thomas, R is in Robert, E-O-N is in Nancy, like the word patron, but with an E in it, uh, patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper. And whether or not you choose to become a patron or, or part of that community, you can at least see what I'm talking about. So I don't have to go into a whole lengthy explanation. Um, I, and forgive me, I, I am tired. I am, I am just a little exhausted. Lawrence and I are planning to go on a trip. We are taking a trip to Sweden and then to Copenhagen. We are leaving in a couple of days. Uh, we are doing an early Thanksgiving. So Lawrence, as, as many of you know, uh, many, many years ago, spent a year living in Sweden and still has many, many dear friends, a whole community of, of good friends who remain in Sweden. And the daughter of one of his dear friends has just had a baby. So we are going over there to see them and they do this um, expat Thanksgiving every year, uh, The week, usually the weekend before Thanksgiving, because of course in Sweden, they don't get the day off for Thanksgiving like we do here in the States. It's, it's not a holiday in Sweden. So we are leaving this Thursday. We are going to be in Sweden for a few days and then we are going on to Wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen, uh, to which I've never been, and I'm very excited to see it. Um, we will, those of you who are stalkers or, or people who listen to my podcast so that you can send me hate mail, please know that we do have a professional pet sitter who will be living in our house while we are gone. The house is not going to be empty, and he's a man. And he's kind of a big guy. He, He's uh he works at our local pet store and he's one of those gentle giants like he's the kind he looks like the kind of person that if you saw him you would cross the street you you would think he was bad news but actually just the sweetest guy in the whole world and with such a big heart for animals and and don't you just love people like that um it's always so heartening to find like a giant burly you know 250 pound tatted up guy who is just a big softy when it comes to cats. Um, not at all a softy when it comes to people who don't like cats or who are unkind to cats. I feel the need to say this uh, because, of course, I do continue. Since our recent troubles have started to get the occasional anti-Semitic um, email and, um, you know, I don't necessarily know who these emails are coming from or where they are coming from, and I don't know what sort of intentions the the people who are sending them have, 
But if you are listening to this and you are one of those people and you are sending the emails, please know um, that much more so than Lawrence and I would be able to do so, uh, the the person who will be staying here um, is not a a, a, a a sort of middle-aged, out-of-shape, bookish Jew like Lawrence and I are. Um, and he does not suffer fools or anti-cat or anti-Semites lightly. So be aware that our house will not be unguarded in our absence. Um, and I am sorry to have to, to clarify that when I talk about trips that Lawrence and I are going to be taking. And that reminds me, by the way, to, to offer in a tremendous heartfelt gratitude um, to those of you who have reached out to me and with, with – just to express your your empathy, your sympathy, to say kind words in light of some of the recent unpleasantness that I have been dealing with. I am certainly aware that in the 2,000-year history of my people, let's say since the diaspora, when we first left the Middle East and, and headed out into Europe, um, that I mean, even to have made it to the age of 51 before somebody directed an anti-Semitic slur at me for the first time makes me unbelievably lucky in in the general scheme of things. Um, and certainly there are infinitely worse things, as we are all aware, all of us who are listening to the news. And I'm not even just talking about what's happening in the Middle East. It's, uh, you know, mass shootings and and all the other stuff, that all the other bad news that that fills the news. There are certainly much worse things that can happen to a person than to get idiotic emails saying stupid and unpleasant things. Uh, but it is unpleasant. And it means a lot that so many of you have taken the time to reach out and let me know that that you stand with me, um, that even if you are, are not yourselves Jews, that, that you have me in your hearts. Um, there are many more of you, by the way, than there are people sending the nasty emails. And I am certainly cognizant of that. And I am also cognizant of the fact that so many people who hear, who, who have nasty things said to them do not also have a community like this one of people who, who come and, and wrap you up in a virtual hug, let's say, and tell you how much they respect and admire you and how sorry they are for for the unpleasantness that you are experiencing. And I'm I, I, I'm trying not to choke up right now because that really is not where I wanted to go with today's podcast. Um, but I do, I, I, I do want to thank you. Um, it, it's important, you know, the, the unpleasant stuff always, it always seems to make a bigger impact than the good stuff. And I don't know why that is. It's something about the way we humans are wired. Um, but by the same token, when it's one unpleasant email to every, you know, eight positive ones, it really does blunt the impact of the negativity. And and I am so lucky to have all of you. And I thank you. I do. And uh, and that's enough of that for now. Um, speaking of unpleasantness, and and I'm I'm going to make a hard segue into cat stuff because that is of course what we are all here for and here to talk about. 
And there, there really is no segue into the, the story that I'm going to tell, except to say that it's time to talk about cats again. And so that is what I'm going to do. Um, because I, I actually, <laughs> I, I have a story to tell that I think most of you will appreciate. Um, so you've heard me talk previously on the podcast about the an indoor-outdoor cat who lives in our neighborhood. Um, her name is Loki. She is a beautiful long-haired tuxedo cat. I, I mean, just an absolutely stunning cat with big green eyes. Incredibly sweet and friendly, but, and and I've discussed this before, I think she has uh, some form of, of synesthesia um, because it seems like like she she wants you to pet her. She comes up, she rubs against your legs, she rubs against your hands, you pet her, she leans into your hand. She's very into it for all of about two seconds. And then she gets very agitated and will hiss and maybe, you know, claw or sometimes bite. She doesn't bite hard enough to break the skin, but enough that you know that she's telling you to stop. And it's not like, you know, every cat does that sometimes to some extent. You'll be petting a cat and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they they bite your hand or seemingly out of nowhere. Um, but this happens very quickly with her. She really wants you to pet her. And then literally, liter- like a literal one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, she's freaking out and, and hissing and scratching and biting. Um and, you know, most of us who live in the neighborhood know her deal. We we know this about her and we are accordingly cautious in our interactions with her. But of course, any number of people walk down our street on any given day who are not aware of this. And and some of them are people who like cats and, and they see this beautiful cat with wearing a collar and they will call out to her and she comes right over very, you know, in a very friendly and enthusiastic fashion. And they learn the hard way what her deal is. If I see it happening, if I'm walking down the street myself or or in front of my house for some reason and I see it happening, I usually will tell people, be careful. She's a biter. I leave it at that. Um, you know, they'll, they'll let it good to know. Thanks for the heads up. Sometimes I see it happening from a window in my house and I mean, there, there's nothing I can do necessarily if I'm inside and I see it happening on the street outside. But here's something I saw the other day and um, you guys, I guess, can can let me know what you, what you think of the course of action that I did. But a, a woman was walking down the street. She had two children, a boy and a girl. And the girl was was little, maybe four or five. She was holding the little girl's hand. And I would say the boy was probably like eight-ish, maybe eight or nine. And, you know, I, I saw them like stopping, like the mother and daughter stopping and talking to the cat. The, the little boy was following behind. He was not quite caught up with them. Um, they talked with the cat sort of, but then moved on. But the boy just came up and scooped the cat, just picked her up, picked her up in in his arms. Um, and a lot of cats who are incredibly friendly and, and do not have any sort of synesthesia or, or anything would not like that to be just picked up all of a sudden by a strange person. And he is fortunate that she didn't it see from what I could tell. I saw this happening from my upstairs bedroom window. She was very for, he was very fortunate in that she does not seem to have hurt him. But she did bite and scratch out at him and he dropped her 
and she ran into the bushes and then he kind of started like going after her, like picked up a stick and was was trying to go into the bushes after her. And and the mother is a few with the daughters is, you know, turns around and sees this happening and then keeps walking with her daughter. And I opened my I opened my bedroom window. I, I, I'm up on the second floor, which is actually the third floor of our house because there is a quote unquote basement, but it isn't really underground. So and and I also live on an incline and, and it's an old, very tall house. So the, the second floor of my house is, is pretty high up and I opened the window and I, you might want to cover your ears a little for this one because I yelled in my loudest voice, which can be pretty loud. I yelled, hey! <laughs> and the, 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 you know, everyone, all of them sort of turned around and, and saw me angrily standing in my window and, and I yelled something else out. I, I was prepared to come downstairs if I had to. This is not my cat, but I am certainly emotionally invested in her after five years of of living in this neighborhood with her and and feeding her, particularly in bad weather. That that's sort of the end of the story. They 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 saw me yelling. They they, they the kid stopped what he was doing. I, the the mother, I guess, realized that whatever her child was intending to do to this cat, now there was a witness to it, and they all moved on. But I, I, I have to ask myself, and, and whether or not this is as shocking to all of you as it is to me, uh, or as it was to me at the time, who lets their kid pick up a strange animal on the street? And, you know, I'm the kind of person I am. I'm assuming many of you are like this, I, and I don't expect everyone to be like I am. My encounters with animals ever since I was a little kid have always been on the animal's terms. And and I never needed anyone to tell me this, but I don't pet a cat, a dog. I don't interact with anything that has four legs and fur in any way that is not that animal's idea first and within their comfort zone. When people say that I'm good with animals, I really think that is the beginning and the end of it. I pay attention I, I watch for signals from the cat or dog in question, let's say, that they want me to approach, that they want to be petted. Um, I am careful at first in how I touch them to make sure I'm not touching them in a place or in an area that they don't want to be touched. And then it goes from there. I understand that not everybody is like that. Certainly not every child is going to be like that. So it's one thing to be a kid. And, and and my sister was this kind of kid. Like she loved animals, but she would just kind of like, kitty, you know, and, and go in and sometimes faster than the animal was ready for. And that's just what a lot of people do. Am I crazy, though, for thinking that it is unbelievably stupid for the, the woman who is this child's mother to just let her child pick up? a strange animal off the street, and then when the animal is angry to continue to go after him. Because yeah, the kid had a stick and maybe he would have hurt the cat. But let me tell you something. I've seen this cat take on some of the big dogs in our neighborhood. And and that's a separate story. It it freaking kills me that her owners just 
treat her the way they do and kind of throw her outside all day with no one keeping an eye on her and in, in a neighborhood where there are many large dogs that people walk. But I mean, th- this is a cat who routinely gets the better of Pitbull. Granted, Pitbull's unleashes, but still. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, forget about even if you're a person who doesn't care about animals at all. What kind of a mother let lets her child pick up a strange cat on the street? And then when the cat is pissed off and has already scratched and bitten him once, continue to go to pursue him like he's going to start a fight with the cat. I'm. I shudder to think, I, you know, it's hard to imagine what my mother, my own mother would have done to me because it's just never the way in which I would have interacted with an animal. No one in my family would have interacted with an animal that way to begin with. But I, I have to assume, you know, my mother did not like never literally spanked me, but whatever the verbal equivalent of of a spanking is, I, I would have gotten one to within an inch of my life. Had I done something as stupid as pick up a strange animal on the street and then continue to try to have any kind of interaction with it once it had already acted, you know, acted in a hostile way toward me. What is wrong with some people? I, I, it really, it shouldn't bother me so many days later as much as it has. And I realize I'm going on about it now probably longer than is worth it. But this is one of those like I'm I'm not crazy, right? I'm not crazy for thinking that this woman is if not an actual moron, um certainly not mother of the year. That many I am not a mother myself. Many of you listening have children. I I'm not wrong, right? Like like this is not a thing that that mothers typically do. This is does not something that comes out of the good mothering handbook. Uh please do correct me if I'm wrong or validate me if I'm right. I would love to hear from some of you what you think about this because I, and maybe this shouldn't be as shocking to me in light of some of the world events that are going on right now. But I have to admit, in a very run-of-the-mill kind of way, this shocked me. I was shocked. I was shocked. And at my age, I don't get shocked too often. So there you go. Um we don't have any inter- any interviews or anything like that today, but there is some some stuff that I do want to talk to you guys about, um, specifically about the reissue of Love Saves the Day. So since I seem to be doing an extraordinarily bad job with segues today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a short break of about 30 seconds or so. And when I come back, we will be talking about a completely different subject. So sit back, relax, and stick around for more Curl Up with a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. So this second uh, half of the podcast is going to start with a confession and an apology that I have to make to, well, the confession I make to all of you and the apology I make to those of you to whom it applies. And and let me stop being mysterious and tell you what it is. 
So many people, many of you listening to this uh, have written to me at some point over the years to tell me how much you liked the novel Love Saves the Day. Um, some of you spoke of it in, in even stronger terms than that. I, I'm not going to repeat some of the praise that you offered because, you know, it's just going to make me sound like a jerk for for doing so. Um, the confession that I have to make is that those of you who wrote to me, who took the time to write to me or uh, upon meeting me in person to tell me positive things about your experience of reading Love Saves the Day, um, the confession I have to make is that I kind of thought less of you or or less of your taste in books um, when you said those things to me. My, my feeling at the time was either A, that you had so much love for Homer's Odyssey and for for me for having loved Homer as much as I did, you loved me so much for loving Homer that you were already pre- so prejudiced when you read Love Saves the Day that it made you view the book much more positively than it deserved to be viewed. Or if Love Saves the Day, and for some, for many of you, Love Saves the Day was the first book of mine that you read. And, and in that case, if you wrote to me to say what it meant to you or, or how much you enjoyed it, I thought to myself, uh, you know, here's a person who probably doesn't have very good taste in books. And, and this is a terrible thing for an author to, to say and feel about a book she herself has written. So please allow me to explain some of the backstory on that. Um, in the first place, I, I, I am one of those, right. You know, every so often you'll see like, like some actor doing an interview on a talk show and they will say something to the effect of how they never watch their own movies because they cannot stand seeing themselves on screen. And there's probably a part of you, uh, because I used to think this, right. There's there's like a part of you that's like, ah, you know, they're probably just saying that. So they sound kind of modest or, or because they think it sounds like a, a sort of self-effacing, self-deprecating, an attractively self-deprecating thing to say. But come on, you, who who gets a job where your whole job is being on screen if you can't stand to see yourself on screen? Um, and then I became a writer, a, a, an actual professional writer. I don't mean just, you know, I, I've been scribbling stuff for years. And I kind of got it because I am one of those people that for the most part, when I go back and reread things that I have written, it's an excruciating experience for me. Um, and, and I think I told you I, I recently retyped Homer's Odyssey from scratch beginning to end so that I could reissue it in the United Kingdom. That's another whole story. But the point being, it it was a, a cringeworthy experience for me. I was cringing as I read it. It seemed unfathomable to me that that so many people had liked it. And I thought to myself, you know, it's it's Homer. Homer was just so charismatic and dynamic and, and such an extraordinary cat that I he he shone through my very, very poor writing, and and this is why people liked the book so much. Um with Love Saves the Day, there did not even have the the dazzling charisma of Homer to save it. And I have not even looked at it since 2012 when I made the final edits before it was published. And my impression of it all these years has been that it is not a good book. I at least there was part of me that at least knew with Homer's Odyssey that 
it was me just being weird about my own writing and that it probably actually was at least a, a, a good enough book. Um, but my opinion of Love Saves the Day has been that it was a bad book. And and there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, one is my general feeling, again, my general discomfort reading things, rereading things that I have written. Um, it was also, and, and some of you may have heard some of this backstory, the publication of Love Saves the Day, it was, it was a traumatic experience. Actually, but even before I get to that, I'll back up and say that I made some very major changes to Love Saves the Day at the last possible moment. I mean, two weeks before the absolute drop-dead deadline, beyond which, if I missed it, they weren't going to publish the book at all. Um, I, there, there was a whole thing. There was going to be a housekeeper who lived with Laura and Josh and have this whole relationship with Prudence, and it was going to be this whole other thing. And at the two-week mark before the absolute drop-dead the, the printer actually needs the book to go to press with it or there will be no book. I decided that I did not want that character in the book anymore. So I had to rewrite essentially from scratch all of the Prudence chapters in a two-week period. And so right off the bat, right, I'm thinking there's no way they could possibly be good um, to have been written so hastily. And then... The editor, I think some of you may have heard this story that the entire creative team that had acquired Love Saves the Day left my publisher. Um, a couple of them quit. Uh, most of them were fired, but there were con- a bunch of consolidations, you know, where one imprint merges with another imprint and then people's jobs get made redundant. Suddenly you have two vice presidents of publicity and two senior editors for blah, blah, blah. And so there was a a big general bloodletting and everybody who had been working on my book was gone. And the new people, the new team that came in, um, not only was it not their book, so they had no real emotional or even business investment in it, but they also weren't really cat people. Um, At one point, I, they, they, Accident. I, I was accidentally cc'd on an email exchange between my new editor and the new publicist in charge of marketing the book, um, in which they said incredibly disparaging things about me personally, um, about people who like cats, particularly people who work for cat rescues, and of course the book. They were not fans of the book. Um. And so the book did not do it. It did not sell like Homer's Odyssey had sold, which I guess it was never going to because now the team in charge of promoting the book didn't like the book, didn't like me, had never and, – and it wasn't their book. They're, they weren't going to get – if the book did well, they wouldn't have gotten any credit because they were never the ones who were responsible for the book in the first place. So purely from a professional perspective, there was not even a reason or a point in them – trying to make the book successful. But of course, as a writer, you internalize that. Um, you feel, you know, if a book does not sell as many copies as you as as people, as it originally was projected to sell, then it's because you have failed as a writer. Um, and then I also, so and I hired an outside marketing firm to help, you know, in a sort of uh, like Hail Mary kind of 11th hour, try to, to, get some kind of momentum going behind the book. And she had some of her, her test readers 
read the book and came back to me and said, they don't like it. Um, my test readers really did not like this book and, and it just does not have bestseller potential. Um, so all of this happened. So it was a combination of me feeling like I had, you know, in general, not loving stuff that I write myself, um, feeling that I had done not served Prudence well because I had rewritten so much of her part of the story at the last possible minute and feeling that if if only I had more time, I could have done a better job with it. Um, and then everyone around me, you know, every every professional around me was was telling me that it was not a particularly good book. Um, and it's funny because Lawrence, my husband Lawrence, always says that of of everything I've written. And he has read exhaustively. He has written, he is probably one of the few human beings who has literally read every word I've written, including like the blog posts and everything I write. Lawrence is always my first editor. He is, of course, a professional editor, um, and that's part of it. And I trust his judgment and, and he is someone who loves me. And so he is a good first reader. Lawrence has always said that Love Saves the Day is by far his favorite you know, his favorite of anything I've ever written. And I've always felt, um, and again, and this is a terror, you know, I've always felt, well, but Lawrence isn't like a book guy. You know, Lawrence is a movie guy and Lawrence is a journalist and Lawrence doesn't know as much about books as I do. So Lawrence is not a good a judge of what makes a good book and what makes a good or, or a bad book as I am. And I'm telling you, it's a bad book. And if you think it's a good book, it's because you don't know as much about books as I do. And that has kind of always been my feeling when people have written to tell me um, that they like it. I always feel like what they, you know, they would like anything written from a cat's perspective or they would like anything written by Homer's mom um, or they try. They just don't have very good taste in books. They are not the the book snob that I am. Um, and it's fine for somebody of lesser taste and lesser knowledge. I mean, sure. This is what I've always thought. This has been my feeling for 10 years. I, I for 10 years, have not so much as... I mean, even Homer's Odyssey, I've done a lot of readings from Homer's Odyssey. I, I do readings at shelters. I have reread many parts of it for various reasons over the years. Um, Love Saves the Day, I had not reread a single word of it since 2012. And it has lived in my imagination truly as my greatest failure. As I mean, my greatest professional failure, but also... As, as a writer, uh, my greatest failure as a writer. And nothing that any of you have ever said to me po- that was positive about it over the years has made me think more of the book. It made me think less of you. It's a terrible thing to admit to your readers, but I, I confess it now. Um, and I'm you know, but recently, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I, I had to retype the book from beginning to end, from word one to the last word. And there were some places where I, I did make some some edits. Um, I smoothed out some of the dialogue, which I think in some places was a little clunky. It definitely needed a, a the kind of, of good once over 
that if I had had, let's say, three weeks instead of two, I might have been able to to give it. Um, and I, you know, the, again, it, it's always a cringy experience for me to reread something I've written. Um, but I, 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 I felt in reading it that that there were a few places where even I, who generally hate everything I write, I thought was kind of good. I, I feel very immodest and kind of like a jerk in even saying that, but there were parts of it that as I was rereading it, I would I actually felt proud to have written. Um which is a very unusual experience for me. Probably it, there's never been such a long gap between when I wrote something and when I reread it. Uh, you know, it, it's 11 years at this point, which is a long time. But there were parts of it that I was proud to have written. And I owe, <laughs> I, I owe all of you an apology, those of you who over the years told me you enjoyed it. And I thought to myself, you don't know what you're talking about. You either you either don't know good writing or you just like me so much that you would like my a, a grocery list if I wrote it. That that really was was what I thought. And um I apologize to you. I I, I do. I apologize. I I still cannot quite come around to liking it as much as as some of you like it. Um, but it's more, I would say my feelings are more in line with Homer's Odyssey. I can't like Homer's Odyssey as much as some of you like it, but I never thought less of anybody for really liking the book. Um, I, I apologize. I really do. I, and, and I sincerely apologize. You you don't have bad taste. I am just not as terrible a writer as I thought I was. So thank you for that, I guess. And thank you for bearing with me. And I, I hope nothing I have said now offends you because obviously you probably didn't know that I, I thought less of your taste for liking what I had written, but I did. I did. Um, and so, so thank you for having perhaps, you know, I, I, I still think, I, I think the truth probably lies in the middle, but I think for a long time I was seeing it so badly that that your seeing of it was was more accurate than mine by default, if that makes any sense. Um, and I am so and again, and this is where I really have to thank my Patreon community, because the only reason I am able to, I was able to reacquire the rights to this book from Random House and then do all of the things that are going into re-releasing this book. And it's not just, it's not even just creating a new cover from scratch, uh, creating, you know, reformatting it from scratch. Um, I, it, it's also the, the, the promotion of it. You know, it's going to cost money for me to promote the book. And, and all of these things are things, again, as I said at the beginning of the, the, the show that, I am able to do because of the support of my Patreon community. But what I really, really, really want to thank you for is giving this book back to me. And and I don't mean the rights. I don't mean the publication. I mean, in my heart, it, it, it has been such a painful chapter 
in my career as a writer, I, I, I have felt so bad about not even how the book did, but about what it was. I have felt for so long that I just wrote this this really bad book that was out there with my name on it. Um, and I feel differently, so differently about the book now. And that's only because I have had to reread it in order to reissue it. And so I, I thank you. I thank you, those of you in my Patreon community, for giving this book back to me. Giving it back to me in my heart, I mean. I don't mean the actual getting, you know, helping me get the rights back. I mean, giving it back to me, giving Prudence back to me. And Prudence was based on Scarlet. I mean, that was always the thing that really killed me, was that I felt like I, I wrote a, a good book about Homer, but Prudence is Scarlet and Honey is Vashti. And, you know, and and I felt that I I served them so much more badly than I served Homer. And, and I so wanted to do right by them. And, and I really have just always felt that I failed them, that I, I, whether, however I feel about Homer's Odyssey, there's no question that I wrote Homer's Odyssey in a way that has made Homer live for people. And I so badly wanted to do that for Scarlet and Vashti. You know, Scarlet was dying as I was writing Love Saves the Day. She she ultimately died of cancer. And she, the last six months of her life coincided with my writing of this book. And and she was dying and, and we knew she was dying. We knew her days with us were limited. And and I wanted so much. I, I tried to put so much of my heart and my love for for Scarlet. I really wanted to immortalize her. Like I felt I had immortalized Homer. And of course, Vashti was gone already. Um, so much love for the two of them went into the writing process. And, and I have just really felt all these years that I, that I failed them, that I failed them, that I failed, that I, I mean, that I failed my readers in, in writing a not great book, that I failed, you know, my original editor and the people who had originally believed in this book by writing such a bad book. And worst of all was the feeling that I had failed Scarlet and Vashti, who deserved better from me um, than what I gave them with this book. And I feel better about it now. Um, like I said, I, I, I don't think I can ever love anything that I've written. Um, but there are parts of it that I am proud to have written. And that is a rare feeling for me. And it makes me feel um, that I did not fail Scarlet and Vashti. And so to each and every one of you in my Patreon community who has made this possible, thank you. Thank you. It, 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 it almost feels like you have given a part of Scarlet and Vashti back to me. And of course, I miss them every day, right? We all, we all miss the, 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 they leave Paul Prince in our hearts and blah, blah, blah. But we really do all miss all the, the, the cats we've loved and lost every day. Um, and you don't even realize kind of 
when you're carrying a certain amount of guilt until all of a sudden you don't feel the guilt anymore and and you you realize how that feels and there it was always a little painful to think of scarlet and vashti because it always came with the thought that i had failed them and i don't feel that i failed them anymore and so thank you thank you for that uh, it means a great deal to me more than I can say here. I am a writer, but I will not find the words to tell you how much that means to me. But but please know that that it means a lot. So thank you. And on that note, I am going to say goodbye for now. But please, please do join me again next week for another all new episode. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.